boom, Mr. Hightowner, how you doing? <laughs> One of those proofread things I got to do a little bit better job of when I'm running these things through. So sometimes when I do things in a rush, I uh, don't double check my work. So um, <laughs> that was one we caught just a second ago. But hey, what are we going to do? We're just going to roll with it. Um, all right. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Mike Mills, and I'm with Verity Mortgage. And this is the uh, Texas Real Estate and Finance Podcast. Um, I uh, have today with me my good friend, uh, Chris Hightower. Uh, he is a, a real estate broker, a, a CEO of Arlington Museum of Art, and uh, has been on the uh, TCU faculty for almost nine years, right? Yes. Very well, close to that. Faculty and staff, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, right off the top, I want to tell everybody, if you have any questions about purchasing or refinancing a home loan, I'm always available to help with any of your needs regarding that kind of stuff. And if you are looking for an agent, especially in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, my suggestion to you is always to make sure that you find someone that knows the area very well, um, has a terrific team around them to make sure that all your, your needs are met, and is always willing to uh, communicate and handle everything all the way from start to finish. And Chris and his group are certainly available for that as well. So if you guys are looking to buy or sell a home anytime in the near future and have any questions, I'm sure Chris would love it if you'd reach out to them and his team and they can help you with that as well. So now that the commercials are gone, get past all that stuff. Um, let's get down to it. So uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank yeah. you so much for having me today. Absolutely. Well, thank you for uh, trekking out here from uh, Fort Worth. It's not that far, but you know, it's a little bit of a drive. So I uh, thank you for coming out. Um, so there's a lot of things I want to talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, if anybody's going to hang around from start to finish, we're going to chat a little bit about um, uh, the TCU game that you attended this weekend or this past weekend. Uh, we're going to your new brokerage a little bit and kind of talk about how that got started. And then um, we're also going to talk about the Arlington Museum of Art. So uh, I want to find out a little bit about all those little things, but uh, I do want to start with the frogs. So um, now this is my, uh, we'll get this guy on here. So this is your this is your picture of what you uh, were able to see. What this was last Monday, correct? Yes. Yes, about a week and a half. You're recovering from it. So tell me about that. How'd that go? Well, you know, we were really excited about going. Mm -hmm. I was super excited actually about visiting SoFi. So I like to go to different stadiums and check them out. Especially yeah. we've got AT and T here. Yep. And uh, I'd heard this one look. You know, you see it on TV and it looks awesome. So yeah. I was really excited to go check it out. Yeah. And I have to say we in Dallas Fort Worth can be really glad that we have Jerry world because it's actually better. Really? Uh, yeah. I was surprised. SoFi is cool. Um, okay. It's beautiful. Okay. But the practical use of it, um, uh -huh. AT&T stadium is better. I, and I'm so, I was surprised by that. I'm, I am too, because I figured this came, I mean, how old is, is AT&T now? Is it 10 years old yet? It's about 10 years. It's about yeah. 10 years. And this so was brand new. Yeah. It's only yeah. been a couple of years, yeah. right? Yeah. I think it was right around COVID or something yeah. when it was built. Um, and it's it's sunken down into the ground a bit, right? It is, yeah. When you first come off um, the concourse at ground level, you're on the 300, you know, level. Yeah. So, you, I, and I was in the 100 level, so I had to go down, 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 down. Right. And that was part of the awkwardness. Is the escalators are really weird. You can okay. have to turn corners and find your way. You know, it was, it was very awkward. Is it sectioned off, kind of like uh, AT&T is, where you know you can't get to certain parts of it without? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it was a little complicated, but. Um, and AT&T is a little easier to navigate. Okay. But the worst part about it, so I was there during the monsoon, you know, it's still going on out there, I think, all the rain. And, oh, right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I forgot so about that. That was a huge damper. So we started off going to the TCU tailgate, 
which was windy, cold, rainy. It was a big mess. <laughs> so it kind of set the tone for the day, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And then in SoFi, so it's it's a, got a roof, but it doesn't have you know walls on the ends. Right. And so rain was just sweeping in from the side. The oh, I heard. It was funny on the broadcast. I heard that where they were yeah. talking about how you know this was at the point where it was wasn't going so well. And they were talking about the rain coming in, and they were like, "Well, the only, the only people that are being affected by the rain are all the people that are on the TC side." It's <laughs> it like, awful. "Oh gosh, what a terrible it day!" Was awful, yeah. So it got so wet on the concourses that people were slipping and falling. And oh wow, one woman fell on an escalator and hit her head. I mean, it, just so the design just really has a lot of flaws. But the game itself, so we were excited the first half. Okay, I think it was like seven to twenty. We yes. thought, okay, we're a second half team. Yes. We got this. We're yes. good. Um, they seem to be playing okay, having yeah. a few problems, but we thought, you know, they'd come out, mm -hmm. you know, firing on all cylinders. Cause I was just in Phoenix the week before for the Michigan game, which yes. was awesome. Right. So we were watch we, that one. We kind of kept thinking those frogs were coming back. Right. It never happened. <laughs> no, it did not. <laughs> but, it, but I do have good news. So okay. I did go to Georgia for my graduate. I saw that. Yeah, I was going to ask you since you were at Georgia yeah. um, during with grad schools when you yeah, were there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so it was kind of a win-win for me. Okay, I so mean, you I, were kind of. I wasn't happy. Right, right. <laughs> you don't have, none of your TCU friends out there. You know that's yeah. why I'm wearing the purple yeah. for you today. By I the way, I noticed that. By the way, um, but uh, but yeah, I don't think you were celebrating. I was not celebrating. But at the same time, you're like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. I will, to win. It's pretty cool to have your undergraduate and your graduate schools yes. playing each other in Absolutely. the national championship. I mean, yeah. How often does that happen? So. Well, never, especially, I mean, and, and it was in California. Now, unfortunately, the weather wasn't yeah. cooperating with you out it's there terrible. when you were there. But, and it's really rough out there too, because, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, they needed this rain because they've been such a heavy drought. But the problem is, is when you get that much rain that heavy and They're there's not nothing to, to soak it. it in. They're not used to it. It just all. rushes everything off. Too. Yeah. So that's another flaw of the stadium situation is uh, we had an Uber lined up, uh -huh. but the Uber couldn't get there because they had to close some streets off because the water was so intense. So the only Uber, so they canceled us and we were going to have to wait an hour for the next Uber in the rain. And I mean, we were just soaked to the bone already. We ended up and and after the game, we had to find somebody Gosh. that was willing to take us. We were like four hundred dollars. Okay, we'll do it. Oh man! So it was just it, the whole thing was just crazy. Well, I was going to ask you if they had a big glass window and on the western side of the stadium that bleeded in, like like at AT and T, where you can't see the end zone in the back. But you know, it's funny when you build it's like billions of dollars that went into the design and the construction of that like stadium billion dollars yeah and, and same thing with at&t and yet when you go in they still miss stuff you know what yeah. i mean and it's just i mean yeah. it's it happens it, you can't but then at that point like yeah I mean, what are you gonna do so it is what it is yeah and i was glad to be there i was glad the frogs were there and hey they showed up and they did what they could and yeah I, I was just glad it wasn't zero yes <laughs> so we, yeah we we take our wins where we can find them well, I think on the, you know, just, I'm not a, I didn't have a dog in that fight either way. You know, obviously I wanted TCU to win just because local and right up street or whatever. But um, when you see nationally, it was a, it was a little, I was irritated because people were saying, well, TCU didn't deserve to be there. It should have been somebody else. And I'm like, they, 
they went through the process just like any other college football team would have gone through to get yeah. to the national championship. They beat Michigan. Did you see the Michigan game? Yes. I mean, it was incredible. Who beat Ohio State right. pretty handily, right. who almost beat Michigan. Right. Or, I mean, excuse me, almost, almost beat, beat Georgia, Georgia. Right. by missed field goals. The yeah. reason they lost. You know, I saw an interview with uh, Sonny Dykes last night, and he had an interesting thing that he talked about. He said they were actually a little overprepared. Okay. And so they were trying too hard. Got I couldn't it. just kind of get into the zone. And I was like, well, that was an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Because um, you could tell they were, you know, they were tr really trying, like, yeah, they were really doing some good things, but they just had some slight misses and it just went bad. Fast. Well, it's, you know, I mean, that certainly was the biggest game of any of those kids career right. and their life on right. national TV playing against the, you know, uh, SEC powerhouse. And Georgia has been there before. And they've been there. Not only did they win yeah. last year, but I think they were in the CFP, CFP like the previous right. year, at least one year, I think yeah. maybe two, where they were playing to get in. Right. So a lot of those kids had gone through that already, and they were seasoned as it can be for a college kid. Right. And all the TCU guys, you roll in there, and you're wide-eyed thinking, right. oh, man. So it takes a little bit to kind of get the jitters out. Right. But then by the time that happened. Yeah. And, hey, this was good for the Big 12. You know, oh, yes. First time the Big 12 got into the, Absolutely. the final game. So it's, yeah. it's all good. No, it's good. It's good. I'm glad that they got there. And, um, you know, obviously the result would have been a little bit uh, better to go another direction, at least a better game. I <laughs> I was watching it with my wife and I was sitting there for a minute and I'm like, this is this is starting to be painful. Like, I just yeah. I've, I just have guilt I, watching it. I know it was pretty bad being there. And then it, it got to the point where I was like, OK, well, we need to stay here for these guys. You right. I, I think you could sense them or I could sense them feeling the game was slipping away from yeah. them and they just could never yeah. uh, get it back. But awesome experience, though, right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. All in all, well, we were supposed to do this the other week or last week, but then you got trip or tickets that's to right. go to that, yeah, so we had right. to push it off a little bit. Yeah. But I'm glad you got to experience that. That's uh, certainly something that uh, you know isn't going to come around probably ever again. And right. you know, to have both schools you're associated exactly. to go to California watch a football game, can't ask for more, man. Yeah. Okay, so um, let's chat a little bit about um, why I really got you here, which is to talk a little bit about your new brokerage that you started. Yeah. So tell everybody, um, how did you get into real estate to begin with? Um, uh, because you were, I think pretty heavily involved in, uh, you know, the college academic scene, I would, you know, if you want to call it that. Um, and then you kind of drifted into real estate. Um, has it been, how long has it been now? Um, I don't know. 13, 15 years. Yeah, a little while, a little while. <laughs> yeah. So how did, how did that, how did you get to that point where you decided you wanted to be a realtor to begin with? Yeah, it's, I, I have a strange journey. I think I've, I've got this education stuff that I've done, the yeah. real estate stuff, and now I'm doing this museum stuff. So it's a, a weird journey, but, um, so I was working at Emory. I just, just graduated from the university of Georgia, working at Emory for a while. And somebody that I met, what was, was what was Emory? Emory university. Oh, okay. All right. A friend of mine that I met was flipping mobile homes and my mother had been a real estate agent here in Arlington for like 30 years, 40 okay. years. So I was like, okay, I want to learn how to flip mobile homes. Like, what's this all about? Um, it's, it was good money. I feel like you got to be pretty strong if you'd be able to. <laughs> this was in the nineties. And so I was making great money. Things were going really well. And then that mortgage, you know, we had that mortgage debacle in 2008, 2009. Yes. I recall that similar thing happened in 2000 for the mobile home market. Okay. And so financing went away for used homes. Did that happen during that kind of that dot com bubble when everything crashed bit, right around little, there? A little after that. Just affected. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so I had to figure something else out. My mom had been in real estate and I was like, well, 
if I can take what I've learned in flipping mobile homes and put it towards real estate, I'll just get my real estate license. So I got my real estate license in 2008, I think okay. actually right around the time of the, that, that time period. My first house, by the way, that I sold was a short sale. Oh, really? <laughs> that tells you. So you got to go uh, right into it, <laughs> right uh, into it head yeah. first, right head into first. the swamp, yeah. huh? Yeah. Oh, hey, Conrad, what's up? My Conrad's our official uh, contributor to the show. You know Conrad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, David and Conrad, he uh, he pops in from time to time. So what's up, Conrad? So you, uh, you got out of flipping and decided that you were going to get into real estate and your first transaction was a short sale, right. which is always fun. Yeah. And then where to go from there? So from there, I... Uh, went to a new agency. And when I left, a couple of my friends were leaving with me from one agency to another agency. So I created a team. Okay. And so I had a team for about 10, 12 years. Okay. And so it just kind of was a natural, I was like, okay, well, the natural progression is to take the team to a brokerage. Right. And so a lot of the people that are on my team now, well, I still call it a team because it is a team. Yes, it is. Absolutely. That's what it is. <laughs> but a lot of the agents that have come with me uh -huh. are previous team members. Okay. And it's just, we're really excited to do it. So what what was the, I mean, there had to be a moment at some point where you're like, all right, I'm ready to do this. Because I'm sure anytime you're going to be a broker, you probably think about it a little yeah. bit here and there. I'd like to do this, maybe thinking about that. W was there something that specifically spurred you on to say, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to go through this and do it now? Um, not really. I mean, the, all the team members actually kept prodding me. Um, so, which was kind of interesting and I like to call the agency kind of an agent's agency. Okay. So, um, of course we serve people, but, yeah. but it's really for designed for agents. Um, so lots of agents now are doing like side gigs or right. doing all kinds of various things, kind of like I do with, with the museum or other things. Yeah. So I wanted to create a, a new kind of concept that fits like the new digital world, like post COVID, we don't have an office. We right. do lots of zoom calls and lots of online stuff. So it's a little bit different than your traditional, um, agency, but the cool thing about it is we're, we're homegrown. We're from here. You know, I, right. I grew up in Arlington yep. and so I'm. I'm your homegrown guy. So I know everything there is to know about yes. what's going on. in Arlington. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I've experienced that myself with you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what you wanted to do basically is you were trying to create an agency where, um, which is, I mean, a lot of agents do this now where they have multiple things that they're involved in and yeah. it's not just a hundred percent real estate all the time. But I mean, from your own experience, I mean, there's a lot of uh, success that's built on not just being purely in real estate, right? Yeah. You, you, having yourself involved in other things is a is probably a key component to what you guys do. Would you say? Absolutely, it's all about networking and who you know and and people that you meet, your sphere of influence. And so, I wanted to provide a space where people could kind of grow on their own without it having to be through like a brand, another branded kind of right. concept. You know, an old school concept that's really kind of going by the wayside. So that that's really the idea behind it. Are you trying to actively recruit other agents or are you just kind of somebody calls you fine? I mean, what are you, what are you looking for in particular if you, yeah, if so, you even are? Well, it's interesting because I've had so many people calling me. Oh yeah. So it's great. And, and I've been meeting with people that call me, which right. is great. So I'm not really actively, you know, calling on it's agents. coming to you. Yeah. It's coming to me, which yes. is great. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> but I think it's because I, you know, it's an agent's agency. This yeah. is about, helping that agent find what works for them. Right. So it's not about me or the agency itself. It's more about the agent. So um, if you were talking to a new agent coming into the business um, that's coming into this environment in particular, um, 
you know, we, if you look back at some of your at your past and how you got to where you're at, what would you say for new agents coming in or even somebody that's been in the hasn't been in the business very long? Um, what are some key components to make sure that they do or that activities that they're involved in a regular basis to give them as much success as possible? You know, in in this current environment, and then you know, just some tried and true methods that you've always used yourself. Yeah, I think it's two things. I think uh, technology, you know, we know that millennials are buying houses now. Right. That's just starting to happen. So that's great for, um, you know, real estate agents because that's been a segment that's been missing for a while. Right. Um, so they're coming into the marketplace, but the way they access is through the internet. Correct. So being really tech savvy and kind of understanding where to find the business and how to go about finding it. And, and the other thing is just your network. I mean, that's kind of the old school thing, but it works, right? It's a matter of getting involved in something that you love, that you care about, that you're passionate about, that other people are passionate about. Yes. And when you connect with people like that, then they trust you. They feel good with you. They, they want to work with you. Right. And so I think it's those two things, a marriage of those two things, which is kind of the old school and the new school. And you just kind of have to find what works for you. Are you, uh, do you figure, do you consider yourself to be fairly tech savvy or are you, uh, Once in my life, I did. <laughs> that happens. Yes. As you get yes, older, you get right. further and further away. That's from. right. Right. <laughs> yeah. As you uh, as you age a little bit, uh, the uh, knowledge of what's how to communicate with people starts to separate some, yes. just because you, you know, when you live in your own little sphere around your own people all the time, uh, and then you come across someone that's fifteen or twenty years right. younger than you, and right. feel realize that they operate in a completely different completely manner, different way. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. takes a little bit of an adjustment period for sure. But you have some younger agents as well that have come on board, so right. y'all yeah. can kind of collaborate and help each other with and, that, right? And that's the whole thing is that yeah. we work together, you know. So this is about them learning from each other and not being in competition, and it it works really good. We're super excited. What have you found about? Um, growing your network because you talk about that that being a real important piece of having success in this business you know um why is it so important to get involved like why if if i wanted to sell real estate right and i just decided one day i was going to um you know get involved in uh i don't know dog walking club but i don't own a dog you know what or i <laughs> you know problematic right <laughs> so why is it important to get into something that you're passionate about what what, what is that yeah, well, I think other people see that. They sense it. They know that you're passionate about it and you you find a way to connect. Right. I think that's all everything is finding a way to connect with other people. Right. Um so and that that's just been my life is I've I've just gotten involved in so many things throughout the city for so many years. Even while I was gone, I came back, I got you know, re got right back into it and yeah. got involved in other things. And so the more people, you know, I just think it, it's just so much easier to, you know, this person knows that person you just have to continue to market yourself, right? you know, make, make it, make it known who you are and what you do. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be all the time. Sure. But just as long as you constantly are dripping on them, Hey, by the way, you know, if you know me and yep. we hung out at the dog walking club, yeah. and you know, I love dogs. You <laughs> yes. know? So yeah, it just, it just works. So when you, uh, for your time that you've been at TCU, um, working there, has that, the, the connections that you've made within that world really helped to kind of boost your real estate career? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, everywhere I go, I think I'm just a collector, right? Everywhere I go, I collect people. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I don't know why, how, I think it just comes naturally to me. I don't know what that's about, but whatever, it works. So I'm good with it. But yeah, I've I met a lot of great people at TCU, great staff over there, um, love the school. Um, and, you know, we both connected about TCU, you know, 
so that's kind of how it works. Right. Because y'all are both on the same page yeah, about what you're yeah. passionate about being in school, well, right? Well, yeah. And when you're involved in an organization or whatever it is, you kind of know what the organization's values are. And uh -huh. if you're both participating, then you kind of share values together. Right. Just people feel, I think that's the issue with realtors is that people need to feel like they trust you. Right. So you're not scamming them. Right. Well, and I think um, it seems, you know, new agents, when they get involved often, you know, they want to go directly to the, what I would call third party leads, where you go online and you're, you know, pulling people that are putting their information on the internet and then reaching out to them, which, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's it plenty works. of people that have made yeah. complete careers on that kind of stuff. Um, but if that's not your, uh, if you're not comfortable with that, or I think it's a good place to kind of earn your chops a little bit just because being rejected and calling somebody and tell, having them yell at you to tell you to stop calling them and all that kind of stuff is, I think it's kind of character building, as you yeah, call it, yeah. right? Um, so that's a good good thing to have. But, um, but I think most people are more comfortable selling and dealing in, like you said, their sphere. Yeah. Um, but those training grounds of those leads can always be, you know, a good place to kind of learn and, and yeah. figure out what you're doing, yeah. right? Yeah, and learning how to talk to people and figure out, okay, I just met this person on the phone or right. internet or whatever. How can I connect with them? How yeah. can I make a way so that they know they can trust me? Um, funny story. So when I first started <laughs> real estate, I actually did phone duty. This was back when we had phone duty. Oh, yes. And people called yes. into the agency. Yep, I remember those. sit at the front desk as huh? people would walk in and all that. So, yeah, I remember those days. But my first transaction was from the phone like somebody that. calling yeah. when you're sitting at the broker and you just kind of have to work with it figure it out it's yeah. pretty much how like that the online leads are these days yes yeah. yes well the only difference was at least back then they would call you yeah like they were dialing the number to speak to you <laughs> whereas now they're just going to put their information out there and then they're going to have eight million people call them oh my gosh and we get so many like strange leads that oh, they're yeah. like not the right names like this is Bart Simpson kind sure. of stuff where they put in crazy <laughs> yeah. names and yes. wrong email addresses and stuff. So it, it, it's dicey, but it does work. I yeah. Mean. Well, I mean, I think with that kind of thing, uh, if you have a really good process and system in place to follow up with those leads and maintain them, then you can have a lot of success in it, but it is very, very, uh, you know, process and system oriented. Yeah. Like you have to have a way that you contact and how many times and how often and all that kind of stuff to really have a benefit from it. But if you're built that way, if that's the kind of person that you yeah. are, you know, there's plenty of agents that have made careers on that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just depends on the individual for the most part. But um, how are you adjusting to, uh, you know, where we are right now in the market as far as, you know, we've, I, I do want to hear your perspective on what's occurred over the last, say, five years, because we went from this world where it was a very typical real estate market. You know, you have your busy seasons, you have your slow seasons, things were maybe even a little bit busier than normal because rates were still four or five percent or whatever. COVID hits. And then we have two years of insanity um, where it's just a free for all. Everybody's trying to buy every house on the market, paying well over value. All this kind of stuff is happening. And then now we're in a world where all that came to a grinding halt. And now you really have to hustle in order to, uh, you know, put yourself out there so you can be available when someone's ready to buy or sell. So, yeah. so what have you seen from that stage to now and, and how are you trying to adjust and what are you telling your agents to work on adjusting to try to fit? Yeah. So I tell my agents to do everything that we talked about before, like yeah. stay in touch with people, right? be on top of it. There's going to come a time, I think, soon. It's funny. I was just talking about this to somebody else the other day. I think there's going to come a time soon where sellers want to start selling. 
And I think that's what it's going to take to kind of break this market open. Yep. Um, it's just been, you know, COVID, nobody wanted to move. They didn't want to go look at houses. They want to put their home on the market. It, nobody knew what was going to happen with the economy. So they held onto their homes, but people are still getting married. Yep. They're still getting divorced. Yep. They're still moving because of a job or moving in to, for, for a job or they still have life events. So they're still buyers. Yes. And so that's why the, the, I think the, the prices went up so high so quick. That's right. Um, but, but it's now stalling out. Um, and the listings are still s slim. I mean, yes. they're, they're hard to come by, but the new home sales are slowing. And so it's going to have to come from the, the listing market. So I think at some point, and I don't know when it's going to be, you know, there's all this talk about recession and mm -hmm. inflation and what's going to happen. And I, you know, I'm an, optimist. Sure. Got to be, got to <laughs> be, you can't wake up every day with, mis well, with misery on your mind. You know, it's just like when they say, you know, the good times, there's always going to be a bust. Yes. I kind of feel the opposite is true here. You know, we've had this stagnation, I think for a little while, I think it's going to have to break free. You know, yeah. There's, there's going to have to be a moment where people feel good about the economy, selling their house, buying something new because they want to be in a new neighborhood or a new job or what, you know, maybe they're downsizing. Right. So I think that's going to come. I don't know that it's going to come this year. If it does, I think it'll be late in the year, maybe yep. second half of the year. I don't think it's coming soon, but I think the good news, especially here in Dallas, Fort Worth is that uh, I don't see prices going down. No. Um, I don't really see we, even in 2008, 2009, we didn't really see a lot of price dropping nope. because our homes here in DFW are not inflated like they are in California, Florida, Arizona, Nevada. Right. I mean, we just don't have those crazy prices here. That's why people are moving to Texas. Right. So I, I think prices are good. So that should encourage sellers. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> the thing about Texas that's made it so, I mean, if you look at uh, the migration patterns of, you know, Americans over the last couple of years, we are right near the top, if not the top of the biggest influx of people to our market. Yeah. And it's because of, um, you know, we don't have state income tax, which is always nice. Um, there's a lot of, you know, I think during the COVID, you know, uh, era, if you want to call it that, which we're still kind of in, um, certain states like us in Florida and Arizona, to some extent, were a little less rigid, I guess you would call it, about how we were handling the situation, yeah. which anybody who's living in California or New York or, you know, a little bit more, um, uh, these states that were a little bit tighter on their restrictions, you know, got tired of that pretty quickly and wanted to get out of there. And so you yeah. saw a lot of people come because of that as well, um, which drove home prices up yeah. because we weren't ready for that influx of people. Right. Um, I've been barking on here for, you know, months about the fact that our, you know, to have a healthy market for real estate, you need to have a, a supply of about four to six months. Usually yeah. they want you right. to have about five months. That's tends to be the average to make it to where it's a balanced buyers and sellers market to right. where, yeah. you know, nobody's got to need again. That's right. Yeah. And right now we're still under two, Yeah. you know, we don't even have two months. And, you know, I think sometimes um, what we don't realize is, you know, when you look at the overall, you know, temperature of the market, where it stands, um, part of the reason people aren't selling is, you know, they've got there's nowhere to buy. You can't well, buy there's nowhere to buy. And I've got, if I'm looking at the choice saying, if I don't have to move, right? Like you said, you, some people at schools, jobs, life changes, relocations, yeah. life changes, you're going to have to do something right. you don't have a choice. Um, but if you don't have to move, there's no incentive right now to move because right. I've got say a 3% interest rate because I bought my house within the last five or six years. Um, I've got, hundreds of thousands of equity, maybe depending on what the purchase price was. So 
if I'm okay with the school and I'm okay with, you know, my current situation, I just, you know, nobody's going to move just for a change, right? They're going to stay where they're at. I think so much of it's based on perception too. Sure. I I think they keep hearing, you know, the price of homes is so high, blah, blah, blah. And in a lot of cases it is, but if you're into, you know, if you're one of those people that will look at a, a house that needs a lot of work, um, you can get a good house like that that needs a lot of work pretty reasonably right yeah. now. Oh, you can get so a great deal right it's now. It's all about being creative, but so many people want the perfect home, the yeah. perfect this, the perfect that. <laughs> yes. But if you're willing to put some effort into it, you know, this is not a bad time to sell. No. And, and a bad time to buy. No, no. Uh the you can still that's the thing when you were saying home prices haven't fallen. They really haven't. Um interest rates went up. You know, they've come back down a little bit. Now we're like in the low sixes. Sometimes you can even stretch into the high fives. Which was great years ago. Yes, it was awesome. <laughs> um, but but in back in November, we were we were knocking on eight yeah. percent. So when you go from two percent to eight percent in less than twelve months, that's a massive increase in rate. Right. And we still only saw home prices either level out or if they fell, they fell by like one or two percent. Yeah. If that. Yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere. And the yeah. and the issue becomes that you know, and this is again, something I've been preaching about for a little while is that when rates come back down, which they're not, unless there's some significant issue, we're not getting back in the twos and threes anytime soon. Okay. But fours and fives aren't unreasonable. No. And when that happens, because everybody was so terrified of it being in the sixes and sevens and eights that when it gets, when they start seeing the five in front of it, the four in front of it, that's when people start making moves again, because now we're conditioned to know that the rates were higher and we didn't want to do it then, but they've come down. Okay. Well, again, they're not, as low as they were, but they're lower than, than what right. we just experienced. So that recency bias thing that kind of kicks in where people go, okay, well now it's ready to go. Well, as soon as that happens, because like you said a minute ago, they're not building any homes or, yeah. you know, they're building some, but not nearly not enough. Many, yeah. And most of what they're building are multifamilies, condos, apartments, townhomes, that kind of thing. So if they're not building a bunch of houses and you don't have a bunch of people trying to list their home because they got a 3% rate and they don't right. need to sell. Right. And this, anybody that thinks there's this massive wave of foreclosures coming, uh, go to the county steps and go see how many homes are for sale that are in for, there's none. Okay. Because again, two or 3% rates, $60,000, $70,000 worth of equity in your house on average, you're not foreclosing on that. Okay. You're going to sell it well before you go to foreclosure. So if that's not happening, so you're not getting foreclosures, you're not getting builds and you're not getting people listing it. So then where's the inventory is going to come from? Yeah. Well, it's not coming anywhere anytime soon. And if that's the case and rates come back down again, now we're back in, you know, a place where people are having to pay 20 and $30,000. You know, it reminds me of the 2008, 2009 time period. Cause it was a buyer's market. So it was the opposite. Yes. And people would not be willing to sell because they couldn't sell their house for enough. Right. And so it's the same thing, you know, so you just have to look at it as, you know, what, what's better, you know, well, you're going to catch it on either side. You're going to catch it on either side. That's right. right. (laughs) Yeah. If you, if you're selling now, there's a few people out there obviously that can sell and don't need to buy or are buying and not selling or whatever. But for the most part, if you're selling your house, you're probably buying another house. So if you're in a seller's market to sell is great, but then to buy is going to (laughs) suck. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So Conrad says he went to the courthouse auction in November and there were two for sale, only two. Yeah. So, there's just it, the, the just foreclosures aren't on the horizon. Well, that's why we're getting so many calls every day. Are you willing right. to sell your house? Oh yeah. I don't know how many times I have to tell those people no. I'm yes. not selling any of my houses. Well, because everybody's agent. looking for listings. And and that's <laughs> the other thing too, is that um, you know, there's another 
I mean, I, you, I call it a threat, but you can call it whatever you want to the market, which is the commercial interests of, of buyers that are now purchasing homes and have been purchasing homes for the last four or five years, which are, and I'm not talking about mom and pop LLC. That's, that's your landlord. Nother, this is a whole other thing. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I'm talking so about you can buy a house, you need to, because that, that will drastically change yes. the market. What have you seen in that regards when you see these, these big corporations coming in and hedge funds and yeah. all these different, well, I, not necessarily that I've seen anything, but I think what it's going to do, it, it creates scarcity. Yes. And so when it creates scarcity, of course, the price goes up for the individual buyer. Right. So that's kind of the problem that we're going to face. So if you can buy and you're millennial and you've been waiting for the right time, Now's the right time. Right. If you wait, all these big investment companies and corporations are going to own the majority of the property and therefore kind of own the price values. Yes. So it's better to do it now than to wait for That's the right. right time. It's uh it's almost like they're, you know, I keep saying they're commoditizing housing is what it yeah. feels like they're yeah, doing. That's right. Um, what do you think as far as, you know, when someone hears us, okay, we well, need to buy right now. And they say, well, I can't because I don't have enough cash. I don't have, you know, and we are in a situation now where, you know, if you, let's say you have a average normal job, you're making 40 or 50 or 60,000 a year. Your spouse is making the same. Uh, you have student debt because you went to college because you were trying to do the right thing. And now you've got a hundred thousand dollars worth of student debt. you got a couple of car payments because you got to get to work, right? So you got a car lease. Um, and then we look at your income as a lender and I say, well, your debt and your income don't quite fit for the $500,000 house that you want. Because like when I bought my first house, I bought it for $130,000 and this was in 130. Really? This is yes. Yes. Too, yeah. This is in 2004. 2005. Okay. Okay. See, <laughs> yeah. um, I bought over there on Shorewood, you know, over by yeah. Lake Arlington, yeah. really cute little neighborhood. You know, it was about a 1700 square foot house, perfect little starter home for me and my wife. Paid one hundred thirty thousand dollars. Our interest rate was, you know, six percent or whatever. But, um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a three hundred thousand dollars house. Right. That that same house that I bought in two thousand four for one hundred thirty is now selling for three twenty. Yeah, and it sold for that three years ago. And to be really honest, it's going to continue to go up. That so what does somebody do? What do we do? Well, I, the first thing I tell them to do is to call you, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That I, think I, I appreciate I do. that. I tell them to call you because you really kind of understand and can help walk people through, you know, all their assets, the yeah. money, everything, and kind of help them. Even if they can't buy today yeah. or next week, you can kind of help guide them on what they could do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, you do a great job at that because you got this you. really good big picture of how to piece that together to make it work for people. So that, that's what I do. Well, I, I don't how do you think we got here? Myself. I, that, I, that's a you job. <laughs> <laughs> how did we get here though? How do we get to a place where housing is so unaffordable at this point? Yeah, I think it's just a, a situation that, that we find ourselves in with all the things that are going on in the world. Yeah. You know, people are now leaving their jobs. Um, there's a, a huge like exit for quiet quitting. Yeah. The yeah. Quiet quitting. I mean, people are leaving those jobs. People are retiring now. Yeah. They haven't, you know, the baby boomers have been holding on for such a long time. Now yeah. they're starting to retire. Well, they're going to be selling their homes soon. Yeah. So I kind of think that may actually be what moves us back into a real market. Right. Is when some of the baby boom homes start hitting the market because they're going to have to sell at some point to downsize or, right. You know, so we're waiting on all the old people to die, is what you're saying, Chris? No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. It's just life changes. Yes, no, I mean, for sure. You know, so I, I do think there's a lot of real estate that's being held that's aging. Yeah, and and at some point it's going to come loose, and a lot of it is in town, right? And so it's that reinvestment of in 
town, especially in the Dallas Fort Worth area, you know, you can continue to move out further and further and further, yeah. or you can buy a home that maybe needs some love that's in town. That's, you know, a lot cheaper on your gas and walkable to spaces and things like that. I think that's probably where we're headed here in this market. Are there areas around here that you particularly think are kind of developing and up and coming that, you know, you would even recommend to a young home buyer say, Hey, this is a part of town, you know, in Fort Worth and Arlington, that's, you know, you're going to see a lot happening over the next, you know, five yeah. to 10 to 12 years. Yeah, definitely in Arlington. I mean, Arlington's really on the move that they, they're, they're investing a lot in the entertainment district. Uh -huh. um, there's more to come there. Yep. Um, so anything around the entertainment district, and there's a lot of older homes that need a lot of love there. Um, some communities that are kind of older and kind of aging. Um, so anything around that, I think downtown Arlington and that area, it's going to be popping as well. So I think there's some really good opportunities. Yeah, they've done. If you haven't been to downtown Arlington a little bit, by the way, they've done a lot of work down there. I don't get down there a ton because I live in Mansfield and stay in my little bubble. But uh, anytime I go out there, I'm always shocked at how much they've done since I've trekked out and, there. And it's just it's on the move. I yeah, mean, they're not stopping. No. So that's the cool thing that. And when the city is investing and, and developers and other people are investing in downtown and the entertainment district, yeah. that's a place for you to invest. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Well, again, if you are, uh, uh, let me go back to this guy. If you are looking to buy or sell in the Arlington area, please reach out to the uh, Hightower Group, which is our, our new brokerage that we were just speaking of. So we got, our, we got the whole team here. Um, you want to tell me about everybody here real quick? Oh gosh, um, I, and I didn't bring my glasses. Oh, you can't see. So we got Von, we got <laughs> so Vanja, Vanja Gaither. She, if if you're into investment, uh -huh. I mean, this woman has it down. Okay. She's done investment properties for years. She's got several paid off. She's a master at that. Cami um, Grasher has been in the community a long time. Um, she's amazing. Um, Micah Green, um, he's a new agent. I know Micah quite well. Um, and he's closing his first deal next week. Nice. All right. Congratulations so, to him. And it's a it's a listing. So fantastic. And he's gonna you know, have her as a buyer. So yeah, awesome. Mike and Micah was a former client of yours and a former client of mine. That's right, he was. Yes, so, yes. That happens with me a lot. I know, I know. Four of these people were previous clients of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ashley Kellogg, um, she's a, a fairly new young agent, lots of energy. She she has some other side gigs and things. Okay. Rush is he's also into investment properties. Yes. And if you want to buy and flip and all that, he's got matrices on every listing out there in the Dallas Fort Worth. Oh, wow. Okay. Amazing. So he's got the numbers he, to back it up and show you. He spends lots of time going through spreadsheets. That's guys. fantastic. Um, Jennifer Lancaster, she and her family, she was one of my um, clients. I think she was a client two or three times for me. Yes. 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 <laughs> um, she's come back. Um, Michael McCoy is new. Uh -huh. I'm excited to have him. Yep. He was in the title business and yep. I told him, I was like, you know what? You are really good at your work. You should get your real estate license because you're going to make a lot more money in real estate. Yeah. Of course, the, the timing is difficult because it's a weird market, but this guy's an up and comer. Well, and Michael does a ton of social media stuff. He's yeah. out there all the time and he's, and he's, he's really coming up with ways. Yeah. He's yep. doing a really great job. I'm yep. really proud of him. Chris Perez has been with me for a long time. I'm a really great guy. And then Kendall is my um, admin. And I actually have a couple of other agents that I don't have on here. So this is a week this, old. This was a, they're just keep coming on <laughs> this board. This is a week old. Yeah. <laughs> and I got more coming. So okay. Wow. Exciting. I mean, that's great, man. I I'm, I'm happy for you. I think that, uh, you know, whenever you've been doing it as long as you have, and you know, you've built up a certain reputation with different agents that, cause you know, you know, I'm sure that working in the market, you know, you, you 
there are certain agents you like to work with and certain agents you don't necessarily like to work with. And yes. uh, we all have those experiences to some extent, just like lenders you like to work with and certain <laughs> ones you don't. So um, to be able to have that many people you know, reach out just shows a lot about what you've been able to, the reputation for yourself that you've built in the city and everything that you've done. Um, and I think it's, uh, I think it's awesome that you're able to get this thing off the ground. So I think you guys are going to do fantastic, but nice. um, so let's move on to uh, the Arlington Museum of Art. So um, here's an exhibit. We'll come back to this in a second, but how did you, you know, how'd you go? <laughs> how do you go from, <laughs> I'm working at TCU, you know, in the, on the faculty now, I'm, now I'm selling real estate and Oh, by the way, and now I'm going to be the the CEO, CEO. Of, the, of the museum. Yeah. How, how does that go? Well, kind of a long story, but the, the basics of it is my mom was on city council years ago. She was a state representative from Arlington. And so my family and I've always been involved in community activities and things. And art was kind of one of those kings. My dad was an artist. Um, when I was a kid, my grandmother used to take me to the museums in Fort Worth and okay. I loved it. Yeah. And just spending time with her was really important. I remember there was one time I asked my mom when she was on council, why do we always go to field trips to Fort Worth? Why can't we go to Arlington for field trips and museums? Right. She said, well, we don't have a museum. <laughs> and so like, oh, well, okay. for me, it was this very altruistic, like we need to have one here in Arlington for yeah. people to come here. Not everybody can get to Fort Worth or Dallas. Right. So kind of nerdy, but it is what it is. And uh, I ended up on the board years ago. And uh, when did the, when did the museum actually open here in Arlington? Uh, 1989. Okay. So it's been so around for a little bit. It's been around a little while. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I got on the board about 2005, something like that. Okay. And uh, just really loved it and think it's really important. Um, so you had an appreciation for art yeah. prior to? Well, because I know nothing about art. Like so <laughs> the short story um, is that I was at TCU and took a lot of art history courses because I did so well in them. I, okay. needed, I needed the boost in my GPA. <laughs> <laughs> I took a bartending class at Tech, so I understand what you're talking about. But you know, man, I loved it. I yeah. loved art history. I'm a history nut. Anyway, that was my major was history. So it kind of was a natural thing for me that I would like art history. And uh, so I'd taken several art history courses. So I know, a little, I, I don't know everything there is to know about art, but I know why it's important for our community. Yeah. Um, so I quickly kind of rose in the ranks there. People kind of started leaning on me for how do we manage this? Uh, we lost our staff in like 2007, 2008. We didn't have staff. We almost lost the building. I mean, we've been through some rough times, but now we're having these great exhibits. This one uh, that you just had up is from Florence. Yeah. And it's uh, Check this guy out armor here. and, and uh, weapons and swords from 1500, 1600. Um, late medieval early renaissance so this is actual um pieces or whatever that yeah. that were created at that period of time right. that they're showing off and obviously they're staging them in different ways or whatever right. but yeah. um but uh right. so is it is it a like are most of the exhibits there oh, connor also know he says he owns an nft does that count uh we're gonna i hope we talk we, about we, it we may get there <laughs> we're gonna get to that we're gonna get to that um and then uh, Michael wants to know uh, what's your favorite art medium there, boss? Oh yeah, I, you know, I'm kind of a traditionalist, so I love paintings. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So is this is this particular exhibit? Is it mostly is the right word artifacts? It, you know, it, as opposed yeah. to it's there's not a lot of paint painting in this particular Knights well, Tale one. You'd more, be surprised, like you can't really see it, but in the armor, the etching in the armor is un believable how how uh, uh detailed it is oh my gosh you, yeah you'd be amazed some of the embossing on some of it 
they didn't emboss a lot of i don't even know what that means you're gonna have to help me raised out. raised so okay. raised versus etching his inside <laughs> <laughs> embossed like it was there was like somebody telling him what to do the boss okay well it would actually uh make the armor unstable okay and so that's not helpful you're not trying right. to make it pretty necessarily right. you want it to work you need right? to be functional you don't want your yeah. leg to be chopped off right. so um but we did we have examples of all that kind of stuff okay um, but yeah the artisans i mean they didn't have machines like we have right you'll be this is all handcrafted yeah. yeah this is yeah. all hand done stuff maybe see i i, I live yeah. in conspiracy land a little oh bit there's these previous civilizations no, 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 <laughs> but uh came yeah yeah aliens came down took over but um <laughs> But yeah, no, they uh the amount of work in in artistry that or just the craftsmanship, I guess, that goes into creating something like that is insane. Um, and you know, I always thought, and I think I told you this story last time, but you know, I, I'm not a necessarily an appreciator of art. I don't have anything against it at all. I just, you know, if I stand in front of a painting, I'm looking at I'm like, okay, you know, you like it or you don't. Looks looks good. That's not any different than anybody else on the planet. Right. So. But I do think that you don't have a real appreciation for it until you go see it in person. Yeah. And when my wife and I went to uh, to France when we were younger, we got to go to the Louvre. And you know, I'm at the time I think I was 25, maybe 24, something like that. And I mean, you, you know, you're in you're in France, you're in Paris, you got to go to the Louvre. Yeah. I didn't particularly want to. It was just like, hey, we're here. We're never going to probably be here again, so we need to go. Yeah. And um, now, granted, I think I told you my Rick Steves thing where I had like the little yeah. podcast that I was listening yeah. to. Yeah. So that helps a ton because yeah. when you're walking through something like that and you're looking at something. It just makes it come alive. Right. You really don't understand does. this yeah. history behind yeah. it. Yeah. Then there's no way to really appreciate it because you got to know what went into the creation of it, how it came about, but the story behind the art is such a big player in the appreciation of it. Yeah. But you don't understand that until you're standing in front of it and someone's talking to you about it, which is why, you know, going to see this stuff in person is such a big impactful yeah. thing, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, that's one of the things we try to do at the at our museum in Arlington is make it very accessible for yeah. people. We don't want people, you know, I know a lot of people go to the museum, a museum and they they stand at a piece of work and they're like, I'm supposed to look at this for a certain amount of right. time and, and notice something amazing What's, out of it. I'm how not long sure am I supposed what to it stare? is, but yeah. how long is it okay? Can I move now? Is somebody watching me? Right. You know, we don't want that kind of experience right. for our right. visitors. So we try to make it engaging in, in various ways. We have docents and tours. We also have a, a guide by cell program that's interactive. That oh, wow. Videos and, and it's free. You know, it does. it's not like the press one and you sit there and listen. It's very interactive. Right. Um, so we try to do our stuff and the cool thing, and I don't know if we're going to talk about this, but I'm going to go ahead and lay it out there. We're moving, we're selling the building and we're moving from 5,500 square feet of gallery space to 35,000 square feet. of gallery Wow. Space. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so you told me that last time y'all are, y'all are really expanding this thing. And where are you going to? Well, I can't tell you the exact okay. location, but secret, I can tell secret you, location. <laughs> I can't tell you it's in the entertainment. It's like district. the bat cave. <laughs> it's in the entertainment district in Arlington. Okay. And we're going to have uh, seven times the square footage that we have now. Help me out. What is defined as the entertainment district in Arlington right now? Okay. So the six flags. Okay. All down ballpark, there. Ballpark. Stadium, gotcha. Gotcha. ATTs, all, all of that stuff. Uh, Texas, Texas Live. Live. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So somewhere in that general vicinity yeah, is yeah. 35,000 square feet of something of our gallery space. But then on top of that, we have more square footage. So we'll have a total of about 50,000 square feet. So one of the directions that I see when I 
pay attention to it from time to time is um, with the art world, if that's if that's the right way to put it, is and this is you sent me this immersive art nowadays where um, I think uh, it first kind of came at least to this area, like the Van Gogh type situation. That was in like uh, the Modern Art Museum of Dallas. Is that right? That was in the lighthouse um, that they have a new building in Dallas. Okay. Okay. Um, so they, they had one and then there was one in, in Arlington at Choctaw. Okay. Last year. Okay. So explain so to me year. what, what that is exactly like, what, what the whole experience is like. Here's an image of kind of what to expect when you walk into something like yeah, this. Yeah. So what we're planning on in this building is having a variety of experiences. So you have we'll have traditional experiences sure. kind of like the one you just saw yeah. you know that we have currently but we're also looking at immersive exhibits and what i love about the one that you've got here um, this is actual art that's designed to be immersive versus the van gogh experience where it was really van gogh's paintings were two-dimensional they were paintings that were not intended to be that way somebody created that atmosphere and it's a little different than what you've got here on the screen right you're taking an old old artist and right. his work and then trying to recreate something else around it versus right. starting with the idea of creating right. it as immersive. I got gotcha. you. Right. right. Okay. So a little bit different, but you know, if we're, if we have the opportunity to do a Van Gogh or something, we'll probably do it. But um, these are the kinds of things, the one that you have here, this is the kind of stuff that really feeds our soul. So um, yeah. So be expecting, we're talking about 20,000 square feet for immersive gallery wow. space and 17,000 square feet of traditional gallery space. We're also looking at interactive exhibits, kind of like Meow Wolf. Um, so if you're familiar with that. I'm Meow Wolf? Yeah. No, I'm not familiar with Meow Wolf. <laughs> uh, it sounds like something my wife would definitely be interested in, though. She's like, it's, cats, it's really wolves, I'm in. Sign me up. <laughs> it's really an experience. So they they create this three-dimensional world that you walk through and, and get to touch and play with. So kids really love them. Oh, okay. Um, there's a variety of interactive stuff that we can get that we're right. looking at as well. So, um, and then new age, um, stuff kind of like the NFT. That yes. Yeah. You sent me, yeah. and you sent me something earlier. I can't put it up here cause it's a, it's more of a video than anything else. And my little system yeah. gets bogged down from that. But, um, so, so explain as well as you know, and I'll, I'll try to add in what I can. So when someone mentions an NFT these days, right. Um, there's a lot of use cases for it, but primarily, you know, or I should say it started, it has started in the art world. Um, and uh, what, what have you seen or, or are y'all starting to move in that direction a little bit at all or considering, you know, creating something that kind of, you know, it, it leans towards that direction? Yeah, they're somewhat controversial for many reasons. I okay. won't go dig down into the depths of it, but um, it, it the the and the blockchain and all that yep. kind of stuff. It's basically, when you buy an NFT in the art world, you're buying like a certificate of authenticity. That Correct. You, you get to use that specific image as your own, uh, but it does never really belongs to you. But you right. get to use it like it belongs to you. Right. It always belongs to the artist. So it's kind of cool in that respect that it's kind of like a a bond that the artist is selling, but the, the artist always owns the IP too, yeah. which they did anyway. Sure. Know, Van Gogh, as long as he lived, he owned the IP for his, his pieces, but um, they're very popular, especially the digital stuff. The, yes. The, um, the movie kind of pieces. Um, they, there's a museum um, that we visited in France last year um, on a museum travel Alliance tour um, they had an NFT. The MoMA, I think, recently has purchased one. That was a video I sent you. Yeah. 
Um, so it's becoming more popular and big museums are putting a little bit of effort into it. So well, the thing, expecting one, we'll have one at the museum here in town before long. I'm the sure. thing with the NFTs is, uh, and we, we, we obviously talked about this before, but um, it's, I think the certificate of ownership is a good example to help explain it because um that's really what an NFT is. It is it is proof that that particular piece of art is yours. So whether you had it on a pre, like if you own the Mona Lisa and you have whatever proof that is that you own that, some bill of sale certificate or whatever. It's been harder to prove in the past. Correct. Yeah. Yes, because they didn't have, you know, and things were forged and you had documents and all this kind of stuff. Well, with NFTs and the blockchain, it records it permanently on the blockchain. So as long as we still have power on the planet, which you know, hopefully that continues to go on forever. If it doesn't, we got problems. But as long as we still have power and access to the web, then you can always prove ownership of a particular piece of art through NFT. Now, the difference is is that the NFTs themselves are actually art, also. Yeah. And you know, I think we talked about how it's like, well. You know, if I own this particular piece of art on my phone, essentially, I have a cold storage wallet. There's a little bit more that goes into it, but it's yeah. a it's a something that I can I can track, and I only have access to myself because I have a key that's associated to it. Well, then I can always prove that that belongs to me. It doesn't mean that other people can't see it. It doesn't mean that other people can't use it. It doesn't mean if I if I go to the Louvre. And with my cell phone, I don't even know if you can, but if I do, if I take a picture of the Mona Lisa on my phone, well, I have an image of it right? and I can show it to anybody I want, but I don't own it. It's not mine, right? I don't have the rights to sell it. And the really cool thing that I think that NFTs are creating for artists in particular is they're helping further monetize their art because in the past, I'm fairly certain this is how it went. If let's just say Bob Ross, okay, my favorite <laughs> artist of all time. Air. Yes, if I'm Bob Ross and I make a painting by Bob Ross, okay, and I sell that painting to you, Chris, all right, once I sell it to you, you own it, right? I don't own it any longer because I sold that piece of artwork to you. You carry it around, you have it in your house, you have that piece of art, okay? And then if you turn around and you sell it to somebody else, then now they own that. Okay. And the only revenue or income that I make off that piece of art is the very first first time I sell it to you. Okay. Well, the beauty about NFTs now, like you just said, is that for the artist, it's income and residual income that continues as long as that art is sold and resold again, because now I have a trail where if I sell it to you, I get the full cut on it or whatever, but then I can build into that ownership ownership certificate or whatever you want to call it for the nft that when you turn around and sell it to somebody else i get a two percent cut or a three percent cut or five percent cut or whatever it is i want to build into it so every time that piece of art is resold for whatever reason then i get some money right and my favorite argument is always like well how does that have any value why why would someone want to buy a piece of art that's on your phone I don't know. Why would someone want to buy a bunch of Campbell's soups, you know, on a on a on a piece of canvas? Yeah. Because they do, because that they, they that it holds because intrinsic collectors want to collect what they collect. That's right. Whether it's old cars or art 
or right. digital art or whatever. That's yeah. right. And there's been a million paintings that have come across that have come on the planet that don't sell for anything, right? right? Yeah. Just like there's a million NFTs that don't sell for nothing, right? But there are some that sell for a lot. Correct. Yeah. And it, and a lot of it again goes back to you know why was Van Gogh's art so great? Well. If I were a betting man and back in that time, I would imagine that it had to do something with Van Gogh himself and who he was and the type of character he was and, you know, what he involved himself in in those times. And then that just carried over, you know, once people in that era associated value to that, then that just carried itself forward, you know, into perpetuity. Now, it had to be good, too. Right? So that's an interesting thing that you bring that up because we're talking about the immersive. That's one of the things about the immersive that drives me crazy because he's known for his texture. Yeah. You know, the paint and the brush strokes and the texture and the color and all of that, you totally lose it when you translate that to an immersive exhibit. So that's one of those things that like you don't get the true appreciation yeah, for it. You don't, like, why go see that when you can go see the real Van Gogh? Right, so, right. So to me, like having an immersive that's built in as an immersive is a much better, you know, kind oh, of yeah. conceptual experience. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. some of that immersive stuff, I think, though, because, you know, especially in the art world, um, because things are so, um, I think it's tough right now because things are so digital, not digital, but everything's so connected and there's so much information coming constantly that, you know, used to, if you went to an art museum, you know, you would go there and you'd walk around and you'd look and you were killing time essentially. I mean, you were, you were there to do something, but, but now killing to, time, I heard that to go to an, well, I'm just saying <laughs> you have time to appreciate it. Right. Yeah. Without thinking about a million other things. Yeah. And today, if you walk into any kind of modern art music, you've got your phone, you've got, you yes. know, all these things that are, yeah. you're worried about. And so you don't really take time to actually appreciate what you're going through. Yeah. So to introduce somebody like Van Gogh to a 25 year old who could give two rats, yeah. but about yeah. it. Right. But if you put it in another package and make say it accessible, yes, that's what we're talking about is making art accessible. Right. And then yeah. maybe, maybe they dive a little deeper. Wow. Sure. This was really cool. I actually want to go see one in person. Investigate it. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, I get, you know, there, it's all about introducing things to the next generation. I mean, sure. golf has this problem where you have um, a situation that, you know, you got a bunch of old guys that all, are the only ones that play golf because it's a four hour event for 18 holes and you got to be out there all day and it's a whole, you know, Ain't nobody got time for that. No. So you see golf courses popping up all over the place that are par three, nine, nine holes, you know, right. so you can get yeah. in and out an hour and a half top golf, all this type yeah. of stuff. That's just another way to introduce Engage people with it. Yeah. yeah a younger yeah. audience to something yeah. like that. And I think, you know, every industry to some extent, especially when it comes to extracurricular stuff like art or golf yeah. or anything else, you've got to figure out how to reach a new audience and, and this type of stuff um is the step in that direction but then you get to really go to the next part which is the the actual creators who are making the immersive right. art for that yeah. purpose yeah. and then it kind of can blow you out of the water right yeah, yeah we're excited about it yeah it, it'll be new for dallas fort worth so and it'll be a good niche like uh, you know the other museums are not going to do this yes that's okay we can let the Arlington Museum of Art take that lead. <laughs> you got it. You're going to lead the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you do have an event coming up um, that you want to talk about, which is Eat Your Art Out. Such a great event. <laughs> it does. I, I love yeah. the name. That's that's awesome name. <laughs> so um, so this is February 25th. Uh, 
of this year is i mean i'm assuming that's just when it starts right it's running for a little bit of time no it's just a one night event oh because because you're gonna eat everything you eat everything <laughs> okay. yeah i guess that makes sense <laughs> your art out. okay so yeah you, so, if you're gonna go to this you gotta get there you gotta be get your tickets yeah, get ready your tickets to go out, yeah. All right, well, i'm gonna have to tell my wife about this i think we're probably gonna have to go to this thing um so tell me a little bit about this guy yeah so we have bakers and confectionery artists create something okay um like these guys display, like these yeah uh, the ursula here and we, last year we did a disney exhibit so some of our bakers did the disney theme okay um these are cakes <laughs> they were a they're gorgeous yes but b they were incredible to yes eat. i mean it was amazing but you can walk around i mean you just can't eat try all of them right we usually have about 15 um cake you know ursula here's more than one cake that's like 10 cakes yeah there's a lot of a lot of bites on that one <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but um yeah so there's so much to eat and it's, it's such a lot of fun you get to meet these bakers and what they're doing we, we also have some other food just to you can't eat that many sweets, but it's a really cool event. You should try to come sometime. All right. Yeah. No, I wrote it down. So um, I think we're breath definitely going to have to attend that one just because if it involves art and food, then uh, I feel like my wife's going to be all on all board ahead. with that. Yes. She's going to be really excited. So anything else coming up with the museum that you want to talk about or anything else that's happening that you're excited about? Do you want to let, let the tens and tens of people yeah, aware of? Tens and tens. <laughs> well, besides with the fact that we're going to move, uh, we'll probably be moving in about a year. So okay. Be on the watch for um, press release in the next month okay. on where we're moving, what's happening with all that. We also have another exciting exhibit coming that I can't yet disclose, but it's going to be really secret exciting. location, secret exhibit. <laughs> Everybody stay tuned. This is going to be one of those that like we're the only people in the country that are going to get access to this. Oh, wow. They called us and said, hey, will you do this? Really? Um, really big name really big exhibit we're super excited about it. you heard it right here on Mike <laughs> that's right podcast. you heard it here first the folks. tens and tens of you the tens of tens of you that are watching this <laughs> now you know and you can get first first shot at it yeah. well that's really cool that they reached out to you yeah. guys yeah it, it is, really is yeah. and this is going to be once you get into the new building right oh no, actually this is going to be in march oh wow okay so, so this is right around the corner yeah you will probably have a press release out this week okay we'll probably have it contract and everything the next couple of days very cool very cool i was hoping we'd have it before this so i could tell so you could tell listeners. everybody about it but instead we have to we yeah, have to throw chum in the water yeah, and, and make no promises or anything else so um well we're already in an hour uh yes i know wow. shot by real yes, quick right well, I appreciate you popping in and uh, telling us about uh, your new brokerage and uh, your your sad event uh, in uh, in California, going to watch the the frogs yeah. do their thing, um, and then of course everything regarding the art museum. Um, I think what you're doing there is awesome, and 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 to have that passion, like you said, that you can dive into that does nothing but feed your real estate business too, because you're 100%. You, yeah, yeah. You meet people all over the city and yeah. you know, you get to have conversations with people from all walks of life. Yeah. And, um, that's, and, and let me put a plug in. Yeah. So if you're a realtor out there, a realtor out there and you don't know how to meet people, come volunteer at the museum. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Great way to get yes. to know other people. People are coming in all the time. You got to <laughs> meet people. So y'all take volunteers to kind of have them walk Absolutely. around and show them, yeah. show well, them where everything is. Just, like to check in to greet okay. them and check yeah. them in and, and it's a great way to meet people hey if you appreciate so here yeah. that's that's the next thing if you if your passion is yeah. art yeah. and you want to get involved in something that is related to your passion then you yeah. can go volunteer you at go. the museum see works. and you can meet new clients all the time well um is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we go 
No, I'm good. Okay. You got you got we, it all out there. We can do a part two, like some down. Yes. Well, once down. we, <laughs> once we get the new building up, I, I yeah. definitely want to uh, do that. Maybe we'll do an on location. We can walk yeah, through and see it all. Cool. Yeah, that'd be I'd really cool. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for popping in. Really appreciate you coming down here to do this again. Um, and uh, that's all we got. So, so yep. We'll see you guys next time. Y'all have a good week and uh, we'll be back. Uh, I'll be back on Thursday. So see you then.